Let's pray. Lord, you promise uh, to meet us in your word. And so we come before you now, Lord, expectant and hopeful. And yet, Lord, we recognize, Lord, that your grace and the truth that it presents as we hear from you, Lord, that it, that it is a blinding light to us, Lord, that it reveals all, even those things which, which we aren't comfortable with being revealed just yet. And so, Lord, as we approach your word, would you bring those things to mind? Father, would you convict us of your truth and of your grace and of your goodness that we can let them go as we cling on to you? Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't, I don't know if this is going to happen every time, um, and certainly wasn't on purpose, but the primary theme of our Lenten series uh, this past uh, Thursday, uh, we looked at Flannery O'Connor's short story, The Displaced Person, uh, and we had the Reverend Rob Surdy come up and teach on that. It was really, really, really good, uh, and it, the, the primary theme of that particular uh, short story fits hand in glove with our gospel passage today. Um, from the Gospel of John, from Nicodemus's encounter uh, at night with Jesus. Uh, and, and so, I'm not going to say that Rob borrowed some materials from me. Because <laughs> that would be a lie. Um, but if, 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 if something I say sounds like something he said, I'll give him credit when it's due. Uh, the story that we read, as I mentioned, was the displaced per- person. And, and the premise of that story is this. The coming of grace into the world is so jarring, so confrontational, that it actually displaces all who encounter it, right? It, it, it changes their world. And even though they aren't moved, everything about them is different. Everything about them has changed. And it can be a violent encounter. It is confrontational. A lot, a lot of times, uh, that change that is caused by grace, it can be perceived as loss. It can be perceived as painful. Because all that we know and all that we take comfort in has faded away in light of the gospel story. Imagine, imagine walking around this town, uh, uh, your home, your, your normal sort of stomping grounds, right? Now imagine that everything is, is cloaked in sheets, Right, everything you see is is covered. All all that you can perceive is shapes, right? Cars and, and buildings and, and trees. Everything is cloaked and covered, draped over. Now, stay in that world long enough, and you'll begin to to come up with stories to to understand what it is that you're looking at. Right? Now, that one uh, over there, it's it's by the street. It looks like a car. We'll call it a car. That's a car. This one over here, it's tall. It might be a light post, but I I want it to be a tree. I'll call it a tree. We can't ever see underneath the cloak, right? All we see is the shape. And we begin to tell ourselves stories about what it is that might be underneath there as we try to make sense of this world that we find ourselves in, covered and draped and cloaked. So pretty quickly, you come up with these stories. And if you live with those sheets long enough, then those stories that you tell yourself about what hides underneath, they become fact to you. Barring any other reason to believe anything else about them, they become truth. 
Now imagine living in this world long enough that you become comfortable with it, and then one day you wake up and every single sheet has been ripped away. Everything underneath has been revealed. You see the world for what it actually is. And the question is, what do you do with the stories that gave you comfort in the world that was cloaked and was covered? Right? Imagine some of the things you got right, and you feel pretty proud about those things, right? That was a tree. I knew it. Right? But what about those other things that weren't right? And yet they still brought you comfort. What do you do with those when faced with the reality of what was hidden underneath? Do you cling to that comfort that you had in light of the reality that's before you, or do you let the comfort go? Do you, do you step into the discomfort of the new reality in which you find yourself? You see, the truth of the gospel, it's so pure, and it's so bright, and it's so brilliant that it, it confronts the little myths that we tell ourselves about ourselves and about the world around us. And Nicodemus is about to walk into that type of confrontation in his meeting with Jesus. He's a well-educated man. He's respected in his community as far as we know. He was a a leader and a teacher, a a member of the the Sanhedrin. He'd heard stories and rumors about Jesus, stories and, and rumors that if they were true, they would upset everything that he knew about himself about the world that he lived in, about his place in that world, what what authority he perceived that he had that others gave to him. If these rumors were true, it would change everything. Would it change it for the better? He doesn't know. Maybe he hopes that it would. Maybe he fears that it won't. He doesn't know. It would be understandable, right, if that fear of the unknown caused Nicodemus to take some evasive action, as Rob Sturdy mentioned on Thursday. I will give him credit for this quote. He found it, and I'm going to use it. Flannery O'Connor wrote in a letter to a fellow author, she said, all human nature vigorously resists grace because grace changes us and change is painful. So we wouldn't blame him if he resisted this type of change, if he clung to what he knew to be true and the comfort that it brought, regardless of if it was actually true or not. But with his world disturbed, Nicodemus decided that he was going to approach Jesus himself. And so cloaked in darkness, the darkness of night as well as the darkness of mind, Nicodemus approached Jesus, the light of the world. The thing about this story is that it's your story and it's my story. It's the story of anyone who is encountered with the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is so bright and blinding of a light. We are the displaced persons. And the question is, what are we going to do in the face of the new reality that the gospel brings to us? We, we live out of what we believe to be true about ourselves. But what happens when, when our truth confronts reality, when our truth is proven to be a myth? How do we respond? Do we evade the pain of a shattered world? Do we take the punch? Do we feel the pain? Do we hold our breath and then open our eyes to a new way of being? That's what is before Nicodemus in this conversation with Jesus. This is the punch that he feels. This is the gospel. This is the grace that confronts us. In Jesus, the glory of God is revealed for us. 
It's that last part that really stings. It's revealed for us. Let's hop in. Follow along if you would like to. The passage is printed in your bulletins. We're in John's Gospel, as I mentioned. John chapter 3. We begin at the, at the first verse. Our passage does. So first question that we have to ask is, who is this Jesus that Nicodemus encounters? Who does John lay him out to be? Who does Nicodemus find out uh, him to be? Find him out to be. The first I, I, would, I would put forward is this, that Jesus is a rabbi, he's a teacher, with greater wisdom than all others. Now, Nicodemus makes this claim himself. Look at verse 2. Nicodemus says, Jesus, we know that you are a teacher come from God. We know this to be true. Nicodemus admits it. John also plays with this idea of Jesus's wisdom, the wisdom of the teachers, right? It's not just what Nicodemus says, but it's the way that John plays with this idea of teacher. We look at verse 10. Nicodemus has asked Jesus uh, several fairly dense questions. Nicodemus is stuck in the physical world and is trying to make physical understanding application of what Jesus is teaching. Jesus is, is, is teaching about spiritual truths, and it's just not quite working and so in verse 10, Jesus responds to Nicodemus, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things? Is this the, is this the best that Israel has? Really, Nicodemus? Right? John is setting one teaching authority against another, and he's making it very clear. Who is the one with the greatest wisdom? It's Jesus. He is the, the rabbi, the, the teacher of with the greatest wisdom, greater than all others. But even more, he's the son of man. And that means he has more authority than all others. Son of man, that might be a, a phrase, a, a term that we have heard Jesus use uh, for himself. It might be one that we are familiar with if you've uh, engaged in any of the scriptures and the gospel passages in particular. This idea of son of man is one that comes from the book of Daniel. Look, look at verse 12. So you can see uh, the reference. Jesus asks another question to Nicodemus in verse 12. He says, if I've told you earthly things you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And then he continues, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Now, that term comes from the book of Daniel. I'm going to read from Daniel so you can hear it uh, as it uh, was originally found, as Nicodemus would know it, as Jesus would know it. Daniel chapter 7. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. He's describing the one like a son of man. Now, Daniel uses that term simply to, to say that, that this messianic figure, he looks like us. He's a human being. He's one of us. But Jesus takes that phrase and he turns it into a title for himself. Nicodemus, you're asking me, how can these things be? Well, it can only be if the one who gives dominion and glory and kingdom, the Son of Man, has arrived. That's the only way that this could be true. 
Only the one who is from heaven can speak with the authority of heaven. And that is exactly who Jesus claims to be in verses 12 and 13. So he's a rabbi with greater wisdom. He's the son of man with greater authority. And then third, he is the one lifted up with greater power than all others. Again, Jesus uses that term lifted up to trigger a reference in Nicodemus, the great teacher's mind. It's a story that comes from number, Numbers. Uh, I find it to be a particularly frightening story. Imagine that you are one of the Israelites speaking out against God and against Moses and against God's provision. You're grumbling in the desert, and God says, you want something to grumble about? Okay. He sends fiery serpents from heaven to, to, to bite and to kill the Israelites. I can't think of anything scarier personally. Well, it has its attended effects. The people turn to Moses and they ask for God to save them. And so God tells Moses uh, to raise up a bronze serpent on a pole so that those who were bit could gaze upon it and be saved. I said, look at this serpent uh, lifted up on a pole and they will be saved. Now notice what Jesus does because he, he combines these references, the son of man and the serpent lifted up. By referencing both, Jesus is mixing two claims of power together in a way that would blow Nicodemus's mind. He's saying when he is lifted up, it's going to be both an act of power to save like the serpent, and it's going to be a display of power of the one to be exalted like the Son of Man. This is the, the Jesus that we're presented with. This is who John shows Jesus to be. He's the one with greatest wisdom, greatest authority, and greatest power. Now, the second thing shown by this encounter with Nicodemus is this. In Jesus, the glory of God is revealed. Immediately following the reference to Jesus as a son of man, there's another reference to Jesus's sonship that I think we're familiar with in verse 16. Jesus is the son of God. This is what is amazing about the, God, the glory of God. The son of man who's lifted up is the son of God who was sent by the father. Throughout his gospel, John hammers this point home. The word was with God. The word was God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And then uh, just before our passage at the wedding in Cana, John writes, this was the first of his signs that Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and he manifested his glory. In Exodus, we read about the glory of the Lord filling the tabernacle. God was present with them. In Ezekiel, the, the glory of the Lord leaves his tabernacle. And now in Jesus, the glory of the Lord is back. It is manifested in him. And so finally, this, as I mentioned, is the sting of it all. We see in this encounter with Nicodemus that in Jesus, the glory of God is revealed for us. Verse 16, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Verse 17, just beyond our selection, that the world might be saved through the Son of God, not condemned by him. And then most relevant for Nicodemus, coming from verse 21, Nicodemus speaking with Jesus in the dark, that we might come to the light. You see, it's not just that Jesus is who he says he is. It's not just that the Son of Man is the Son of God, the revelation in the flesh of the glory of God. That's great and amazing. But the sting is that all of this was done for us. 
for you and for me, that we might be confronted with the truth of God's love and grace for each one of us. This is where that sting of grace is felt because we're left with a choice. Will we face the light? Will we let go of our comforts, what we wanted, told ourselves to be true in light of what is? Or will we flee from it so as not to disturb what we'd prefer, what we've come accustomed to and grown to know? Friends, it's not a choice that we get to escape, a decision that we have, uh, that we have the option to choose. Jesus confronts us with the gospel by coming into the world, by dying on a cross through the resurrection. He says, this is true. Now what are we gonna do about it? See, until we deal with Jesus, nothing else matters. The cloak on the world has been removed. Education, social status, your, your gifts, your hangups, right? Your independence and your comfort, these things have no value if you still have no answer for who Jesus is. The light has come into the world. And the question is, are you seeking him out? John doesn't tie up the story nicely for us the way that Flannery O'Connor does in The Displaced Person. Uh, The story just sort of moves on. Nicodemus uh, is left in the darkness as far as we understand. But he is referenced towards the end of John's gospel. Jesus has been lifted up on the cross and Nicodemus is there and he's got enough myrrh and enough aloe to prepare the body of a king for burial. And so there's hope for him, just as there is hope for each one of us. That hope comes from our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.